0: fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try and it's ready for the touchdown. What a great second. Here the, oh, here comes the Oh, here comes the oh. Wolfpack, what is going on? It is the Wolf of Roto Street here with your preseason week three market check. I apologize, it's coming a day late. I was in Denver this weekend, just got home late last night, like 4 a.m. Got this all together for you, though, and I can't wait to go through it. Uh, It's going to be a huge one. We had some humongous news we're going to cover, like Andrew Luck's retirement, like Lamar Miller tearing his ACL, uh, and Ezekiel Elliott also. uh, Some positive vibes coming out of his camp. So we have a ton to go over in the news department. Uh, Plus, we also have just a ton of interesting risers, fallers, penny stocks. They call preseason week three the dress rehearsal, which is when teams mostly play their starters for about a quarter, or half, and you can really get the most important takeaway. So this is as important as it's going to get this preseason. From here on out, my rankings probably won't change a whole hell of a lot. Uh, there's lots of other injuries that could happen. The Houston running back situation could become a little bit different. But overall, I, I think my rankings will stay pretty similar to what we talk about here. So let's dive in. We got tons to cover. Um, we're going to begin, of course, with Andrew Luck. Just of course, Shocking news from a personal standpoint. You're just like, what? This is one of the the best we've seen over this last four to five years. I really started to come into his own last year. 4,600 yards, 39 touchdowns. I mean, he looked like he was en route to having another five, six years as one of the best in the NFL. And then he just shockingly disappears. The injuries weighed on him mentally, all that stuff. Uh, So you know, feelings aside, though, what do we take from this as fantasy owners? Well, one, obviously a a top 10 quarterback is removed from your list, but still such a deep pool. I'm not overly worried. I drafted in a few leagues. Andrew Luck was my quarterback in them because he was falling. And I still found guys like Dak Prescott, Sam Darnold on the waiver wires. If you're, you're scrambling, look for those. Matt Stafford is a week one bridge facing the non-existent Arizona air raid defense that's just gonna get bombed week in and week out. There's still some options at quarterback, so don't panic if you had luck. Plenty to go off. You could even maybe pick up his backup Jacoby Brissett, who we're gonna talk about now. Some interesting fantasy appeal here. Frank Reich's system, first and foremost, was just monstrous all last year, facilitating that great season. Again, 4,600 yards, 39 TDs for Andrew Luck. Now we're not saying Brissett is capable of pulling off those same numbers. He's not nearly the quarterback that Andrew Luck is, but he's got some running appeal, which we know that Konami code they call it with fantasy, brings a whole lot of upside to it when a quarterback can go rushing and scrambling for those points, brings a ton of value. Plus he's shown much improved accuracy, he's thrown for about 70% completion rate. Over 120 yards so far, TD in his preseason action. So he looks much improved, and a lot of that could be a line that allowed the least amount of sacks last year. Last time we saw Brissette, wasn't pretty. Right around 3,000 yards, 13 TDs, but he was playing behind that awful, awful Indianapolis line that is probably what ended up speeding up the Andrew Luck recovery train because he just got killed year in and year out. Uh, but now he's got that beefy line that really again kept him untouched all offseason, that's huge for, for Jacoby Brissett to be on a better offensive line. The weapons cabinet, much more stacked. It used to be just T.Y. Hilton. Now we've got those tight end terrors. we got Paris Campbell out of, we got Devin Funchess there. Deion Kane has really emerged as a potential option. A uh, viable penny stock we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, so he's got a much better weapons cabinet. Most importantly, a much better line uh, which should equal much better results for Brissett and this overall offense than the last time we saw them. Still though, I mean this is Andrew Luck we're talking about being being removed the fantasy consequences can't be ignored for guys like T.Y. Hilton, for guys like Marlon Mack. Obviously, the tight ends Eric Ebron, Jack Doyle, uh, and some of those sleepers that we were mentioning don't have quite as much appeal now when you're catching passes from Andrew Luck. I mean, uh, from Jacoby Brissett instead of Andrew Luck. So, the, the downgrade is definitely steep, uh, but I'm not gonna go overboard. T.Y. goes more into that middling wide receiver two tier, definitely no longer with those Keenan Allen's, those Vikings receivers, those last except the wide receiver ones. I mean the stats aren't pretty for his last season with Brissett. He was the wide receiver 25 in overall fantasy points but only 4 of those were top 12 finishes only 1 of them uh, became in the middle ground and then 10 of them were outside the top 36 so it was the definition of a boom or bust style season for T.Y. Hilton under Jacoby Brissett. and I don't know if it's going to be much better this year so he definitely takes a little bit of a hit. Of course again he's looked much better Brissett has so I'm not going to overreact but still T.Y. Hilton definitely no longer one of those wide receiver one acceptable pieces much more of a wide receiver two around the maybe the Robbie Andersons the Josh Gordons I might even like those guys more let me know you guys tuning in what you think about T.Y. Hilton from here on up I'm even maybe more concerned though for Marlon Mack so much of his value a great article from Scott Barrett last year 96 stats of fantasy football he came on our pod and discussed the stat about Marlon Mack almost half of his uh, fantasy points or I think it might even been 70% of his fantasy points points came when they were up by at least 14 points. Do you really think the Colts are going to be up by 14 points or more a lot of the time when they got Jacoby Brissett throwing the rock? Probably a lot more games where they're playing from behind. And as a great game script back, Marlon Mack could become prone to you know Naeem Hines coming in and playing that mop-up, clean-up, reception duty, all that stuff. So Mack does take a hit alongside T.Y. Hilton. I wasn't very high on the Titans anyways, but I'm not huge on on any of those guys at, at all anymore. So I'm just a little bit down on all the Colts, but I'm not going to overreact. Uh, so just let me know where you guys think you might take T.Y. Hilton here. Does he fall? You know, I'm getting some comments in right now. Nick James more than Josh. Jeez, Jacoby seems to have decent rapport with him. I feel like he dips, but not that degree. Flash Flashless. Me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's obviously, there's risk with T.Y. it's probably double the risk. I think that's a great point, Nick, with Josh Gordon. What if he just disappears tomorrow? Still, you're talking about a guy that maybe won't be the number one when you got Edelman. Of course, he's going to be the top guy. Behind Edelman, though, who really is there for Josh Gordon to compete with for targets? Gronk's removed. He averaged over 18 fancy points a game last year when Gronk was not in the lineup. I guess Brady and him, we got the inside report from camp today. We're working for extra two hours after practice, honing in on their routes and whatnot. So the number two for Tom Brady versus the number one for Brissett. I'm going to lean with the the uh, Josh Gordon there, but it is close. I don't know exactly where he's going to slide in. It's going to be interesting to re-rank this all and See, It's right around, though, that Robbie Anderson, Josh Gordon tier, in my opinion, is where he'll fall to. Again, 10 of his finishes were outside the top 36. That's well over half the season, T.Y. Hilton, when he was playing with Brissett last. I know the situation's much improved. I know it's going to be better, but I still am a little bit nervous about this entire offense, especially the run game with those leads. Um... And a lot of people are saying Hilton's the only one I'd look for now in this off- offense. James White had yeah, 30 catches a game. I agree. So maybe he is the true number two. But I still I love Gordon. I really think this. I missed your news on Zeke, but I'll replay it later tonight. Uh, we haven't even got to there, Sonny, so don't worry about it. We're only on the first item here on the menu. But any other quick questions about what happens with the Colts and whatnot, please make sure to, to comment them in. I'd be happy to go over that. Again, sad news, though, for Colts fans. Just sad news for any football fans removing one of the better young talents in the game. Seems way too early, but again, you. Got, I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and bash Andrew Luck. If he was mentally done, he's mentally done. Uh, just fantasy wise, obviously some hits are taken from this point on. Uh, we're gonna move on now, though, to Lamar Miller, another shocking removal, not by retirement, but by torn ACL for the season. Uh, and you know. Uh, I know I'm the first to admit I'm down on Lamar Miller. I'm not sitting here saying I've ever been high on his talent. I've been talking about I want this path to be clearer for guys like Duke Johnson or Dante Foreman before where I thought there was more talent than Lamar Miller showed. I didn't want it to happen this way, though. You're never rooting for an injury. Uh, so as unfortunate as it is though, this is a pretty ripe situation. I mean, Lamar Miller was the RB 16, 19, 22 these last few years. That's you know solid RB2 numbers. He The, the fourth, the first, all these different stats by Bill O'Brien They've consistently ranked in the top five in rushing offense. Lamar Miller, you know, 235, 285, over almost 300 touches over his three years. He's averaged over 18 touches per game. That's a sizable slice of usage. That's going to now go to what I consider a better talent in Duke Johnson. I mean, the the Texans transitioned to more of a zone-blocking scheme last year. So let's talk about just running. If he inherits right around those 18 or so touches per game, 12 to 15 carries, Duke Johnson. And then right now they're saying, you know, it's going to fall on his shoulders. That's what everybody from John McClain, the most reliable beat in the league, says, you know, he's going to get all the work he can handle, Duke Johnson. So as a runner, I mean, we can talk about his passing upside all day. We'll get there in a sec. But as a runner, Duke Johnson is sneakily excellent. At the outside zone game. In fact, when he came out, he was labeled the best zone running back in that draft class at the outside zone. Uh, and now that's what the Texans really last year. at Second half of the year, you saw Lamar Miller even start to trick up a bunch of hundred yard games to close the season. They transitioned to a much heavier outside zone game. So you imagine that's part of what draw them to Duke Johnson and um, what his excellent outside zone game. But then obviously as a pass catcher too, you think of all those times Deshaun Watson scrambling and needing that outlet. He hasn't really had that, and Lamar. Miller, decent receiver, but not even close to his instinctive and just natural as a pass catcher as Duke Johnson, who's, who's going to thrive in that safety valve. You know, Deshaun Watson gonna be under a ton of pressure behind that awful offensive line. I see him catching a ton of balls, receiving now about 200 or so carries. We're looking right around 240, 250 touches within what I expect to be a top, seven, maybe even top five offense. I mean, when they were all healthy, over 40 points per game under Deshaun Watson, Will Fuller, when all those guys are on the field. Big F, I know, but you're talking about 240 to you know 250 touches for Duke Johnson in that offense. It could be a monster. Obviously, there's some speculation. Will Jai go there? Will they trade for McCoy? Will Carlos Hyde get cut and end up there? So that will you know leave a lot to be determined, but right now Bill O'Brien said we have a very strong running back group. We feel great about Duke as the starter. Uh, so, I mean, I right now, he's falling around nine I'd take him anywhere from five and beyond. I think he's going to be a steal, especially in PPR leagues. A lot of people are saying, well, Deshaun Watson doesn't throw to his running backs. Bill O'Brien doesn't target his running backs. I get the stats aren't great in that realm, but think about Cam Newton for those early season careers. You just see that progression as a passer, learning to rely on your running back a little bit more. He hasn't had a guy that knows how to get open and kind of show himself like Duke Johnson's going to be able to. 44% of his receptions have gone for either first downs or touchdowns. Think about how much better that offense is going to be when they're staying on the field because Duke Johnson catches that third and six, makes someone miss. And again, a great fit for what they do as a run game. I love Duke Johnson's upside from round five and beyond. I think he could be a season winner that you're getting real late right now. And any questions, of course, on the Texans' offense with him, let me know. Uh, but Sonny, you didn't miss it. We're getting to the Zeke news now. And there's nothing breaking. I'm not going to sit here and be oh, I've got my inside sources. I'm not talking to anyone from the Cardinals. But I'm reading the tea leaves of the offseason. And everything from you know Thursday on last week was all positive buzz. They're saying you know, Zeke is now talking to the team. They offered him the second most money behind Todd Gurley, but a lot more than Le'Veon Bell, and I've, I guess they've significantly upped that offer as early as yesterday, which has them talking a little bit more. They're a little bit of a holdup now on the, ha- the the guaranteed money, and I don't blame the Cowboys for this. I mean, this guy's been in the news every single offseason, but apparently they're not willing to give him quite as much guaranteed money as Todd Gurley got, even though they're willing to do a similar $60 million annual, uh, 60 million total, about $15 million a year style deal with him. They're still not willing to give him that guaranteed money. I can't blame them the team, despite how talented this guy is. But still, now there's increased optimism. They're very optimistic from Cowboys camp. NFL reporter Jeff Darlington said a deal will get done. He's going to be there in week one. So that growing optimism has me definitely a little more likely to go into the, the Zeke train whereas I had him around 20 or so when things were looking ugly And I mean they were hideous remember Jerry Jones was like oh well, we'll you know you don't need a franchise running back to win a Super Bowl uh, and Zeke was you know go, he's and, and he still is in Cabo but he wasn't talking to the team at all at least they're talking now the door is open there's some communication there's some optimism uh, there's an official contract details that, yeah you know what this is probably gonna get up and he's probably gonna get this done uh, and if if so, I mean, you're looking at the guy that would have been number one overall had none of this existed in the first place. And if he officially signs, he'll leap up to number one overall. And you know how much, if you've listened to this show, how much I've raved about how much I love Kamara. So that just tells you how much Zeke would be a humongous upside. Never mind the fact that he's been working out with Marshall Falk and Cabo. He's down to 220s, the lightest he's been since he entered the league. a best shape of his career, classic line. But he always has that little pudgy look. He looks like he's more ripped than ever before. So you're talking about the best shape of his career, Zeke, by A top five line, Frederick returning, making that line even better. And then Kellen Moore, I think, really going to help this offense take it to the next level. That all adds up to just a monster season, I think, coming for Zeke Elliott. Now that I there's some optimism, there's some positive vibes, I go from having him around 20 on my big board all the way back up to number four. I won't take him above those big three running backs of Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, and Saquon. That's the order I have him in personally. Let me know if you disagree, by all means. Uh, but ultimately, he's right there at number four. And I already had a draft. I took David Johnson. That was a couple weeks ago. If I could redo it, I, I really think Zeke, this thing's going to get done. He's going to be there for week one, and he's going to have his best season of his career. The, those receptions, those touchdown totals are going to merge. The 77 catches of last year, the 16 touchdowns of his rookie season, and all those rushing yards. I mean, leading the league in rushing two years out of his three professional seasons, the only two he's played 16 games in. The, the talent's indisputable. I think this guy is going to absolutely kill it this year. But let me know what you guys think on him, what you guys think of the Colts. I'll kind of get to some comments. Duke Johnson or Jay Ajayi. Uh, Steven Tweed, thanks for, for coming in. A milestone follower, it says from you. I'm not sure what that milestone is is uh, Kyle Tunenberg a milestone follower as well so appreciate you boys tuning in and getting those uh, I, I I think Duke Johnson's definitely the play I mean if Jay Ajayi signs there we'll reconsider things Duke Johnson will still be the play he's been there longer he's more versatile I think he will still get that shot at being an every down back whereas Jay Ajayi would be more of the the kind of change of pace guy maybe a goal line role but ultimately, I think you brought up a huge point, Stephen, and I'm glad you did because I might have missed it. JJ is only 6 or 7% owned right now in fantasy leagues. If you have a kicker, if you have a defense, why not stash this guy and see if the Texans give him a shot? It's I'm seeing Carlos Hyde get cut everywhere, and it makes sense. He's probably going to get cut from Kansas City. Why not stash him and see? Because whoever ends up going there, you can't. You got to imagine someone's going to go there. They're not going to just stay settled. Whoever ends up going there does have some appeal because Duke Johnson, he's never missed an NFL game, but you see him come out of games a lot dinged up. He's a smaller back. I think he can shoulder load. I didn't just talk about how I think he's a top 25 back. Uh, and then just, just to kind of backtrack on it, I think he's going to be a beast. But even so, it's well worth that speculative ad on a big back like Jay Ajayi, like Carlos Hyde, who could get some humongous touchdown upside, again, in an offense I think is going to be top five in the league. So, Steven, thanks for pointing that out. I think that's a great comp- com- comment right there. we got Kyle Thunberg, like Gronk said, got tired of being hurt. Yeah, just like you know, two 29-year-olds that we wish we could see longer tunes with Andrew Luck, it just... They they wasn't in the cards for there. It's just a brutal sport, just Sonny's saying. So if you're not enjoying it, then you know it's probably not worth the money at that point. So I'm I'm with the uh, Duke Johnson train though. Dom, what's going on? My man Danger close tuned in. I think you got your draft coming up, so let me know how I can help you get ready if you need any pump up motivational speeches for the wolf. Um I'm here for you, my man. Uh so let me go where you guys think Zeke ends up going. Do you think he shows up? I see Sonny saying he might play, you know, worst case week two or three. I think even You know, if he's not here by the regular season, then I get really really nervous. Uh, But I agree. Got to get his ass out of Mexico, Nick. It's a dangerous place for somebody with his type of weak mental state the the woman, the drugs, everything there. I'd be nervous. So, Sonny says he went Zeke with the fourth. I agree with that. I think I totally would have done that too. There's so much more optimism than there was even just a week ago. And there's just too much talent to pass it up. Uh, And again, when he signs, if he signs, he's going to go right up to number one. So, Heg saying Tony Pollard season, that's another great point. You know, either way, especially whether you draft Zeke, and even if you don't, I'm still taking Tony Pollard round 10, and even when he signs, I think Tony Pollard's kind of that nice handcuff with benefits, he's definitely carved out a receiving role at this point, very talented guy that's made the team look smart for investing in him as Daryl Henderson's backup, a lot of people passed and didn't think this guy could be a true stud in the league, he's looked fantastic, I mean that last preseason, he didn't play in the last preseason game, too valuable to lose, and then you see him the week before, 51 yards, a TD, just the engine of that offense, like 7 of 13 touches over half their yards to get them from back in the 10 all the way down to score and that was tony Pollard's season right there so i mean this guy is talented and if zeke does somehow hold out you're looking at this year's james connor so don't forget that name tony pollard i'm glad you brought that up heggs uh you're an anniversary follower apparently so very intriguing there uh so that's all we got on For news there, you see RSJ there. Let's get on to our risers and fallers of preseason week three. So we got this here. We get the picture there. D.D. Westbrook, I purposely put at the top of this list. He's not, you know, the highest in my rankings or anything of that nature. But I put him up here because he's the one that rose the most after one week of the preseason action. I was thrilled by what I saw from D.D. Westbrook in preseason week three. What exactly was I thrilled by? Well, we got 10 attempts from Nick Foles three of them went to Leonard Fournette, so I like that for Leonard Fournette, a little stock up there, they talked about including him in the the pass game a lot more, we saw that in one drive but the other guy, all seven targets went to D.D. Westbrook including the end zone one where he scored, remember this guy had the fifth, uh, five touchdowns out of the slot last year, that led the league we saw that on the preseason week here scores out of the slot, nice touchdown but again, seven targets seven of ten, 70% target share week uh, three of the preseason dress rehearsal week, and it makes sense, I mean who the hell Else, who they really had to throw to? You. Yeah, Keelan Cole's flashed. Sure, DJ Shark or whatever the fuck his name is has made plays throughout camp. But Dee Westbrook, this is his show, uh, and he's going to be an absolute beast this year. You read reports about how you know Foles and Westbrook were showing great chemistry in camp. Seven targets speak for themselves. I mean, that's the guy that he was looking to on every single throw. So beyond the good chemistry, you hear John DeFilippo call this guy the best route runner he's ever been around. I mean, this is a guy that coached last year the OC of the Vikings, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, maybe the two best route runners. Uh, it certainly as a combination in the game right there. And he's saying D.D. Westbrook's the best he's ever been around. That's pretty da- uh, you know damning evidence that this guy's going to have an unbelievable role. And John DeFilippo, as we talked about, Adam Thielen was leading the league in targets and fantasy he points under this guy until he got fired so he loves to use his slot weapons loves to move him around, knows how to use his route runners the right way. It sounds like D.D. Westbrook has really made a mark on John DeFilippo, really made his mark on Nick Folds, and he's falling to you know round 8, 9. This is now that wide receiver 3 if you, you miss out on some of those big guys like Robbie Anderson, Mike Williams the next round or two after that D.D. Westbrook make that plunge. I have him about 15 to 20 spots higher than his ECR I think he kills it this year huge D.D. Westbrook fan, uh, Especially after week one. Let me know what you think of him. Foles found his newfound Alfon- Alshon Jeffrey. I really think so, Steven. Uh, and even more so, remember Aguilar had that humongous breakout out of the slot just a couple seasons ago? He's been irrelevant ever since. So, I mean, you think about it. Those slot weapons, Foles loves to use them. And and John DeFilippo loves to send his slot guys vertical. I, I think D.D. Westbrook, great yards after the catch ability, but even better at tracking the long ball. Great vertical threat. I love what he was doing to the table with them. But yeah, I agree. New number one target and it's very cool clear who it's going to be there for Foles. And then we got Sony Michelle going up on the rankings, and it doesn't really show up in the stat sheet. I think he finished with just about 33 rushing yards, but man, there's a couple runs that were called back. You saw some explosion from Sony, where you didn't really see last year. He was kind of sapped of his health for a lot of the year, and never seemed to be that truly explosive threat until maybe the end of the year, and right around playoff time. I mean, this guy averaged two touchdowns a game, over 140 rush yards a game. He was the guy that brought them to the the finals, including Edelman and obviously Tom Brady, the GOAT, but he was really the engine there, and it kind of, to me, seemed like a preview of what is this offense going to look like for the next few years as Tom Brady's career winds down? It was 20 attempts a game for Michelle. It's so 140 rush yards a game for Michelle. two touchdowns a game. Now, I don't think he's going to get fed that much, especially early on, because they're going to want to preserve this guy for the playoffs. They drafted Damian Harris for a reason, but Sony Michelle was showing a gear we didn't see last year. He still kind of seems like he's going to be that man that's involved at the, the end zone. Got those early down, uh, the early first team goal line reps with Tom Brady. As long as he maintains that, the reason I started to get a little down on Sonny Michel early in the offseason, a lot of rumblings that Damian Harris was going to steal the goal line work, a lot of rumblings that Damian Harris was going to steal early down work. But now, ever since then, all the reports have been out of camp. Sonny Michel looks like he's a, a different receiver out of the backfield, looks slimmer and more explosive, has greatly distanced himself from Damian Harris. And per, preseason snaps, he was the only guy in with Tom Brady, including James White rotating in too. But Sonny Michel does seem to have made that gap quite wide between him and Damian Harris, who also got dinged up in preseason action. So, if this is truly Sony's gig and you're getting him in round four, I mean, you're talking about 12, 15 touchdown upside, 1,000 yard rushing upside that late. He's become one of my must targets as soon as round, you know, mid round three, late round four hits, where he's the guy I was avoiding just a little bit ago. One week I saw a more explosive Sony that has much more control and share in that rushing ground pie. It's going to be so valuable. I'm all about Sony Michelle now. Humongous riser on my big board. I know some of you guys out there will never touch uh, Patriots, you know, running and let me know if you're one of them, but I, I'm now back in. I really think uh, he's going to light it up this year. And Tunes, you're saying I had Michelle last year, but Burke had White and Harris. It scares me. I know I so you're one of the guys that's with me. Like what I just said, there's some of you guys that will never talk about or never touch Sony Michelle, and I don't blame you. There's always been shenanigans. And if I own him, you better best damn believe I'm getting Damian Harris in round 10. You you can't miss out on Damian Harris. If you own Sony Michelle, you got to have that entire backfield. But to me, he seems like he's going to be the clear cut early down guy, the clear cut first option at the goal line. As long as that is true, the upside's astronomical. I mean, think about what Garrett Blunt did in that role just two or three seasons ago. 18 touchdowns, I want to say. Uh, running back seven in fantasy that year. I mean, that's not without the realm of possibility for a much better talent in Sony Michel. So I'm really excited about him. I know I can't blame you if you don't want to go back to Patriots' backs, but I'm all about him. Um, and so we're going to move on now. And <laughs> Sonny says, I can't wait to hear your recent thoughts on Godwin. It's all more of the same with this guy, uh, but it's all beautiful, more of the same. Four catches, 52 yards, that's the clear number one target in that offense. Yes, Mike Evans was out, but this has been the, the story of the preseason. Every single week, this guy has just been making plays. You see the red zone prowess. You see all those reports uh, You know that Godwin is going to be that slot guy, the 100-catch upside. Bruce Arians says... And then you see it in action. I mean, he hasn't been off the field from the first team this entire preseason. He's in on the two wide receiver sets. He kicks into the slot in three wide receiver sets. And we know Bruce Arians, what he did to late career Larry Fitzgerald, who doesn't have nearly the athleticism of what Chris Godwin has now. And I love Larry Fitz. This isn't a shot at the goat himself, Larry Fitz. But Chris Godwin at this this stage of his career has much more than what Larry Fitz did three or four seasons ago when he was having 109, 110, 107 catch seasons under Bruce Arians. Chris Godwin Godwin could absolutely catch us. So if you're in a full-point PPR league, I mean, you're looking at 60 points on reception, or 100 points potentially, on receptions alone, like over 10 to 15 touchdowns on just his reception upside. Uh, and you just see that rapport with Jameis Winston. It's always been a sky high, but it's even better and even tighter bond. It's who he looks to first thing when a play starts breaking down, when the pocket starts collapsing. It's Godwin, Godwin, Godwin. That's his target. That's his guy. I love Chris Godwin. I mean, you're getting this guy in round four, sometimes even five, as your number two most often, he's going to be that wide receiver two that explodes to be a wide receiver one alongside Tyler Lockett. If you've gone running back, running back, running back, and you can go Tyler Lockett, Chris Godwin as your next. I mean, you got your stable horses, and then those two are the guys that I am, I mean, I'm going to guarantee it right now. I'm telling you, those are the guys you could draft as wide receiver twos. So again, Tyler Lockett, Chris Godwin, I'm promising you, those guys are going to emerge as wide receiver ones this year in fantasy and be absolute beasts. So I'm a humongous fan of Chris Godwin. He only continued to show that in his dress rehearsal because he was that guy that Winston went to on under pressure. He was the leading target, leading receiver yet again, and it's just going to carry right on into the preseason and think about all the shootouts you're going to get in that division I love Chris Godwin let me know your thoughts on him if you guys are willing to go on with that uh, but I'm all about it I got a comment coming in from CJ what's good with James White is he going to suck this year with a healthy Sony Damien Harris I love that you brought him into this question you know with Sony going up does that mean James White goes down think about the guy he's definitely one of the most resi- reliable receivers Nick James I don't know if you're still tuning in you already pointed out that he might be that number two receiver in this offense no doubt about it he's one of Brady's most trusted weapons And in the right matchups, this guy goes off for 7 to 10 catches. My concern is, though, I mean, last year, you look at his stats, two clear outliers from his career – one was the amount of snaps he played. I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but I think it was nearly doubled, or maybe even more than doubled, his career average of snaps. And his touchdowns, similarly, I think he had about 12 touchdowns last year. A lot of those came in the games that Sony Michelle was out. He kind of acted, and the reason he was so valuable and the reason he got so many of those touches was when he, he was almost the direct handcuff last year to Sony Michelle with Rex Burkhead banged up and the whole backfield kind of in flux. He was more of a handcuff than he was just a standalone option. This year, if Sony goes down, you lose the that kind of handcuff appeal with James White because Damian Harris is there. I really think he would kind of emerge as that goal line guy that every down early workhorse for them if Sonny Michel was to miss time. And that's why James White had such a high ceiling. This year if he goes back to kind of that reliable receiving third down back of course there's upside because the Patriots Always throw to their running backs. And he's going to still have some blow up games, but I think he's become, going to become a lot less consistent with a lot less stream of uh, receptions. Uh, you know, just overall usage and losing that handcuff appeal to me is humongous uh, de- detriment to James White. He's fallen pretty hard to about running back thirty three or so on my big board. I'm a little bit lower on him than the industry experts, including PPR leagues. Things are just getting a lot less consistency out of James White and a lot less overall usage with them having such more capable backups with guys like Sony. Uh, uh, with guys like Damian Harris behind Sonny Michel. Uh, but great question. I, I'm glad you pointed that one out. Once I heard Evans saying he wasn't sure the number one on Godwin was, I was sold, isn't that crazy though, right, Sonny? Like his own teammate, Mike Evans, who's been one of the best receivers, I think the only guy in NFL history to have 1,000 yards over his first five seasons, is coming out and saying, I don't know which one of us is the number one because of how good he's playing in camp. I really think it's just going to be one of those 1A, 1B situations where it's such a high-volume attack, the Bucks under Bruce Arians. You know they're going to be right around the top I don't know. Uh, five or so in pass attempts, the no-risk-it-no-biscuit style offense of Bruce Arians. And when there's not that many mouths to feed, you think about Adam Humphreys is now gone, Deshaun Jackson's not, now gone. They haven't really added anyone to compete other than Brashad Perriman, who is, again, one of my favorite penny stocks. I think he's going to play the John Brown role very, very well and be sneaky sleeper. But ultimately, it's going to be Chris Godwin's going to be Mike Evans, going to be O.J. Howard, just feasting on a humongous aerial pie. So I absolutely love that volume. Uh, Kyle, pointing, out that the offensive line in QB scares him. I mean, you can't not be scared with Jameis Winston, but in terms of fantasy, this guy just loves to chuck the fucking rocks. So yes, real life-wise, I'd be terrified if Jameis Winston was my quarterback, but I love his willingness to just chuck it up, let his receivers make plays, uh, go deep down the field. It's going to merge very well with Bruce Arians, and early on, I just feel like the, we've seen some signs that Bruce Arians really has impacted Jameis Winston, made him a more a better decision maker, made him a, a more aggressive but smarter quarterback. At the same time. So, yes, I'm worried about that. And of course, the line is he going to have time to throw? The preseason game, he was under duress, Neil, the entire time. But, Godwin wise, I mean, you think about the slot, those early quick receptions that could end up playing into his favor. So maybe Mike Evans takes a hit because that line sucks. A guy that's great in the vertical game, great all over, it's Mike Evans, but he was a great deep threat last year. Maybe he takes a little bit of a hit, but ultimately Godwin benefits because he needs the ball out quicker. Those Again, think about what Bruce Arians did with Larry Fitz, both the short and vertical routes out of the slot. Godwin's going to do that to perfection. So a lot of that, Uh, the volume. Think about how often those guys are going to be behind that. Defense still sucks. You're looking at shootouts, volume, volume, shootouts, volume. I I I love it. I'm still with you. Sonny agreeing the volume. I'm with you guys. Hegarty asking, would you be happy if you had Kamara, Gurley, and Dalvin in your stable? No, that sounds like a shitty running back crew. I would hate that team. You're fucking kidding me, dude. You absolutely smurdered that draft last night. You got your handcuffs, too. So, I love that stable. I think that's about as good as it gets. Dom asking, I'm targeting Godwin and Lockett on my third round 3-4 turn in the second spot. Going to be so legit. I'm with you. Especially, you know, if you can get two horses and those are your guys, I'm with you. Uh, I love those guys. It comes down to me now. I mean, we're going to talk about Amari Cooper in a little bit bit but those two have passed guys like Amari Cooper Uh, and some of those wide receiver ones that have some concerns maybe even you know Edelman now with Gordon back that could be a potential debate Lockett and Godwin but those again my two favorite number two wide receivers that you can get in rounds four sometimes even five that are going to be wide receiver ones I'm calling it now at the end of the season next year you're going to be taking those guys in your top 12 bank on it uh Tunenberg, a lack of running back, helps go. Yeah, they have no running game. That's not mentioned the fact that they're going to be just slinging that thing the entire game. So great comments, guys. Keep those going on. We're going to move on, though, now to a new guy, and I've only had hate for this guy most of the offseason, and that's Darius Geis. Comes back, gets fed 11 carries, and that was clearly by design. They wanted to get his feet under him, get some NFL contact, get him hit, get him rolling, Uh, but he looked beastly during those runs 44 yards so 4.0 yards per pop not great but not bad but what I like you know I saw that classic stiff arm on a run I saw him jump cutting I saw him agility he looked like he was healthy he looked like he's ready to go shook off a little rust had a couple runs where you know questionably getting stuffed but ultimately I I saw what I needed to and that was that this guy's healthy that he's still a yards after contact monster I had this guy in my top I think 25 last year. So that tells you what I feel about the talent. I'm an unbelievable runner when he's fully healthy. The situation still kind of blows. I mean, the line wasn't great and they lose Trent Williams, uh, one of the best to ever play the game. And then you got, you know, Case Keenum leading an awful receiving core. That passing game should be among the worst in the league. So I don't love the overall situation, especially when he's split in time with Adrian Peterson, who just is like the new Frank Gore that just doesn't age, is somehow drinking some sort of... I I don't know what the fuck he's doing... Uh, but unbelievable, just ridiculous shape that this guy is in. Looks just as good as ever. So it's gonna be a committee. Chris Thompson's gonna be involved in the passing game. One of those guys has been removed, though. Bryce Love will probably be out the entire season. They're calling it kind of a red shirt year. So now it's gone from a four headed potential nightmare to a three headed. And Geis looking as healthy as he is. I love his costume. I mean, you can get this guy in round nine. I've been shitting on Geis, like, yeah, I'm not gonna touch him. And then I looked, he's going in round nine, 10, 11. That's stashable territory. You're not looking at drafting this guy as a starter. I'm telling you, by week, you know, six, seven, once AP is kind of, you know, allowed Geist to get his full legs under him, I could see the guys taking over that backfield. Earliest offseason, remember, Jay Gruden was talking about how Geist could be a three down horse that never needs to lead the field because he's been so impressive as a receiver too. I wouldn't be shocked to see him in that role come season's end. Uh, and by then, if you can inject this guy into the flex, maybe you had Chubb and you're worried about, you know. Kareem Hunt. Uh, I'm not saying you will ever play Geis over Chubb, but just a guy that's intriguing to stash when you can get him in round 9-10. The talent has always been there, and there is the chance to overtake everybody else around him. So I really like what Darius Geis looked about. Uh, even though Thompson will catch some backs, even though this team's going to play from behind a ton, I think they're going to really try to establish Geis and AP early. Uh, we're going to see Ge- uh, Geis eventually emerge as that every down back. I'm going to side with the talent there. And round 9-10, there's some serious upside to Darius Geis so I'm very impressed to see him look as good as he did the next one's going to be short and sweet and that's Dalvin Cook but what more do you have to say? 85-yard touchdown run that just highlighted everything I've been saying all offseason on this guy. The reason why I've been calling him the 2019 Christian McCaffrey, the round two running back that's going to win owners their leagues and go in the to top five and everywhere next year, was just fully on display in only one run. Yes, only one run. The reason I'm so high on this guy is the Kubiak zone blocking scheme. You guys know me, I like Shanahan, Kubiak. If there's a well-executed zone blocking scheme, you can bet I have my lotion out and I'm going to town because this thing looked perfect. You saw those Vikings running backs just uh, the the linemen moving in unison it seems like they've really got it down opened up a nice initial hole and then Dalvin Cook showed what's going to make him so dangerous in this fucking offense which is he gets that space and all he has to do is make one man miss and he broke a tackle and he was off to the races so he found that space because he knows how to hit that initial cutback lane it was a beautiful vision beautiful hole for him to find and once he had all that room to roam he puts on the Jets there's nobody catching him breaks the tackle from the safety, gone for 85 yards. I feel like we're going to see those time and time again this year from Dalvin Cook. Obviously the risk is very, very real in terms of injuries, torn ACL, overcompensating last year, gets the hamstring injury. you got to be nervous about that, but if we get 16 games out of Dalvin Cook, I'm calling it now, he's going to be going well over 2,000 total yards and 10 or so TDs. Guy's going to be a monster in the scheme. Perfect fit for what they want to do, Uh, and it was all evidenced on that one touchdown run. I Don't don't overreact to one run, but just when you see everything you want to see, the skill set from Dalvin Cook, the, the zone blocking from the linemen all merging to a perfect baby. That's what we're going to see all season. So, if you get this guy anywhere in round two, it's going to be a steal. He's up to, I think, 12 or 13 overall on my big board. I've fallen again to the end of round two in some drafts. Absolute insanity. You think about the running back stable you could be, build, or let's say you get, you know, Devontae Adams or DeAndre Hopkins early, and then this guy's sitting there in round two. You're off to an unbelievable start. So, one of the best guys you can get in round two in any league, in my opinion. Love Dalvin Cook and love what he has done uh, in the zone-blocking scheme. And last but not least, similarly, kind of just a one-play flash, but it's one of those one plays that tells you everything you need to know, and that's Damian Williams hauling a beautiful 64-yard touchdown from Pat Mahomes, just absolute laser to this guy in the first place. You just see Mahomes, but that reminds you of how good of a receiver Damian Williams is, which is why he's going to end up being the clear-cut starter here. There's all this talk, all these rumblings of a committee. Ooh, Carlos Hyde looking good in short yardage. Ooh, we're, we're going to have, you know, sh- split workload. It's going to be the Damien Williams show. And I had this guy at 12 overall uh, early in this offseason when it was the endorsement from Reed, the full-time starter. You know, their OC saying this guy is the guy that no one else we're considering. The GM saying there's a reason we didn't go out and get people because we fully believe in Damien Williams. And why wouldn't they? 10 touchdowns in six games, 22 and a half fantasy points per game. They really leaned on him in the playoffs, too, and he came through for him in a big way. So, Damian Williams has always been dominant as a starter. I was just worried about these committee con uh, talk early on, but to me, the way he d- just catches that touchdown, the fact that Carlos Hyde played with the fours, got one carry for like one yard, it- it's pretty clear he's going to be removed. I was nervous about Williams losing some volume at the stripe. But if Hyde's removed, it's not like they're going to take out Williams, a bigger size, great speed guy. For, you know, as much as I love Darwin Thompson, we'll talk about him again in a little bit. But why would you take out Williams for, you know, your 185 little ball of muscle? Going to be great at the goal line, too. I am nervous. Maybe Darwin takes that job long term and eventually, but Damian Williams is going to start that season as the guy. And at this point, unless he fucks it up and gets hurt again or, or whatnot, I see him running with that gig. So when you find him at the end of round two, oftentimes in round three, That's the guy I'm going to be targeting now. You know, right before Aaron Jones, Derek Henry, that whole group, I'm looking for Damian Williams. I think he's going to continue to maintain uh, that high touchdown upside. And and I just saw it all in that one uh, catch. If you're on the turn, do you go with Cook or Mixon? I think that's a great question, CJ. And that's one I really struggle with. That whole tier of running backs, right, Gurley, Mixon, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook, that whole group, James Conner, often lumped into there too. I've actually, you know, Connor Mahan drafting tonight. He's been texting me all day. Do you have a different feeling yet? Do you have a different feeling yet on the running back group because it's such a tough one to sort through between Cook and Mixon. I think I lean... Oh man, I, I don't know. If the gum was to my head, exactly who I would go with. If Cook stays healthy, he's going to be a top three running back. His ceiling is definitely higher than Mixon. I think I do side with Mixon because he has the higher floor. Plus, he's got a, a newly elevated ceiling under Zach Taylor implementing their version of the Sean McVay offense where Gurley is the clear-cut centerpiece of that offense. Mixon's now going to become that for the Bengals. I'm nervous about the line. I'm nervous about you know the lack of receivers there. But look what these guys have been doing in the preseason, second in preseason passing yardage. Zach Taylor seems a system. I mean, Andy Dalton seems very comfortable in it. He's making plays even with AJ Green off the field. I could see that offense being very explosive, especially once Green returns and Mixon being that offensive focal point and centerpiece of it. I think I lean there. It's a great question. It's very difficult. And if you get 16 games out of Cook, he's going to beat Mixon. He's going to beat pretty much every other running back in the league. But I'm just a little bit still hesitant on that injury history and situation there with Dalvin Cook so I lean Mixon now I had that dilemma in the middle round where I had David Johnson I had both those guys fall to me and it was a real tough one that was before the 85 yard touchdown run but I still even with that run on the resume I lean Joe Mixon Johnny Nottingham, Wolf on a team that has Lindsey, Aaron Jones, and Dalvin Cook at RB. I just traded Gurley for Diggs and Jarvis Landry. you support the move or nah? I would need to know a little bit more about the wide the right receiver situation. I love the stable, and in general, I would probably pull that trigger and go Diggs and Landry for Gurley. Uh, are you saying you traded away Gurley, though? Uh, that's tricky because that is a good stable, and I guess you have the depth to pull that move off. But I love the Gurley upside this year. I'm on the record a million times saying everyone's going to look back at the season and they're going to be kicking themselves as to why I didn't take Gurley when I could have had the discount on him. I'm fully all bored. The Todd Gurley, just the hype's been overblown about the knee. I think he's going to be exactly what he was. Maybe a little reduced in terms of usage, but he's still going to get all those goal line snaps, all those carries. one of the best hammers in the league. He's scored 40 touchdowns over these last two years. I think another 15 or so are in the book. For him. So I do love Diggs. I love Landry. If your wide receivers were absolutely abysmal before that, I can stamp that move. But ultimately, I think, you know me, I'm such a workhorse guy, and I am a high girly guy that ultimately, I don't know that I make that move. I also think your league's pre-PR, though, which gives Landry a lot of appeal, and I think he's going to be a lot better with Odell Beckham in there. So, great question. Overall, I think I side on the Gurley side, uh, but you have the depth to pull it off, and if your wide receivers were literally a joke, then I can see why you do that, but again, I I don't know if Gurley's going to make you regret that one come the end of the year. I would have maybe seen if you could have done like an Aaron Jones for Diggs or something of that nature. Instead, Dom, best of luck, buddy. Good luck preparing. If you have any questions, if you're still too Tuned in? Come on in. Uh, let me know, Dom. And text me. You know, you know the Twitter. I can give you my phone number. I want to make sure you dominate that draft. One of the best Wolfpack members in you, Dom Ribello. and Austin. Thanks for tuning in. What what's going on for you tonight, my man? Let me know if you have any questions. We're gonna now move on. Though that's all our our uh, risers right there. We have quite a bit of fallers from this week's episode. Uh, one of them, and I hate to admit it, is Christian Kirk. I love this guy coming into the, the year. I called him one of the best values in the draft. If you're a long-time listener this entire preseason, you've probably heard me rave Kirk, 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 Air Raid, Air Raid, Air Raid, Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray. I still believe in the offense. I think they're going to kill it. I really do think Kirk is as good of a fit as you can be for an Air Raid offense. Uh, you know, He's played in it in college. You can move him inside, outside. He's got that versatility to play a great role in an offense that I really think is going to blow up this year. But we haven't seen it yet this preseason, which is a little bit concerning. I'd feel so much better if I saw him. I and mean, I know it's a vanilla scheme. If I'm gonna forgive, you know, Kyler Murray and say, yeah, it's it's been a low pace. They've been going much slower. They haven't been showing what they're gonna do. Obviously, I have to apply that to the receivers too. But what I'm more nervous about is the fact that you know they have not got on the same page at all. He's only caught two of his six targets. His snap share has been greatly reduced. He's only played about half the snaps. He's rotated in with Larry Fitz instead of like moving. You know where we say Godwin playing every single snap whether it's two receiver three receiver we're seeing Kirk get pulled a lot uh, is he that going to happen in the season is he not going to be the every down guy that we're expecting here uh, can he get on that same page with Kyler and plus Keyshawn Johnson showing very very well all the reports out of campers we're going to talk about him too so i won't go into too much detail but nobody has had a better camp veteran rookie uh anybody than Keyshawn johnson according to camp we saw in the preseason game that was the one kyler murray leaned on seven catches out of eight targets he played with some of the second team offense it wasn't all under kyler murray but those two have a definite bond i led the team in receiving targets catches all that good stuff in the last preseason game That makes me nervous. What if it's Keyshawn Johnson, the guy that you want to own here? So now instead of reaching on Kirk where his price is, I find myself more often getting Larry Fitz, who I think is still discounted. I definitely end up with Keyshawn Johnson no matter who else I have in this air raid. But to me, I am a little bit nervous about that lack of chemistry we're seeing with Christian Kirk. Just a little bit nervous about the the reduced amount of snaps that I expected. Again, maybe it's by design. Maybe they're being vanilla. And this guy still truly explodes for 1,000 yards, 10 tees. The upside I said he once had definitely still exists but I'm a little bit more cautious about it now. Whereas I was taking him above Robbie Anderson, Josh Gordon, those guys he's now a little bit below that tier and much more aligned with the Larry Fitzes uh, in that style. Wide receiver 4 instead of wide receiver 3 tier in my opinion. But let me know if I'm overreacting if you guys would change these things uh, instead. Danny Jennings, happy Taco Tuesday, my man. I- Covered Zeke a little earlier, but my guess is yes, optimism is abound there. Uh, It seems like they've really upped the deal, and now it's just a matter of working out the guaranteed details. So, Denny, I'm fully with you. Happy Talking Tuesday as well. i got to make sure I cut this in a little bit so I can get my tacos in. It's got to happen. Hope you're eating some for me there as well. What's going on, Dorfman? Let me know what you're thinking. I liked your draft. I'm not a big fan of Bell, uh, but ultimately, uh, I liked your overall team there. Uh, Got him, keeper for now. Uh, For who? Let me know who your keeper is there, uh, Austin. All right, we're going to move on now, though, to Amari Cooper. And this is strictly injury-related. Every report is positive. They're saying he's on track, all that good stuff. But it's a foot injury, and that's the type of stuff that could linger well throughout a season, that could hamper someone. And we've seen Amari Cooper oftentimes have these little flare-ups that linger uh, and and they don't fully heal. Then you get that disappearing act of Amari Cooper. You you know, those stats we talked about you know, with Marlon Mack and losing Andrew Luck and how many of his points came when they were up by 14 or not, 70% of it. Well, just like uh, him, Three games made up 50% of Amari Cooper's fantasy points last year and the year before. He's the only wide receiver that had 50% of the uh, move taken up in only three games. So Amari Cooper definitely needs to be fully healthy and consistent if you're ever going to find the, the true ceiling of this guy. He was great when he joined the Cowboys, you think on paper, wide receiver seven over that span, but he had like a 50-point day against the Eagles worked into there. So a lot of that production came in that one game as we're citing. And if he's not fully healthy, are we still going to get those blow-up games? Is he ever going to find that consistency? And you know, we got Michael Gallup looking as good as he's ever looked. We'll talk about him a little bit later. All this has me a little bit more cautious on Amari Cooper right now. Uh, I'd rather take guys like Chris Godwin we talked about, Tyler Lockett we talked about, Julian Edelman, just less risk and equal to even higher ceilings right now, in my opinion. Uh, As long as he's fully healthy, I still think he could be a beast and he'll end up being a steal and make me look like an idiot if he's fully ready to go. But that foot has me a lot more nervous than I originally was on Amari Cooper entering this offseason. Cody, what's well, what's going on, my man? Welcome to the show. India, good to see you tuned in. Next, we're going to talk about Kalen So This is a guy I uh, talking about hype all-stars from the preseason, deservedly getting a ton of praise throughout camp because he's now their number one running back. Kenyon Drake was out. They really had no one else to go to. Balaj has done nothing but suck his way across the NFL field. 70 yards on 12 carries in the dress rehearsal. They clearly were trying to get him going. The thing with this guy has always been questionable vision, uh, dances behind the line a little bit too much, a great size speed athlete, and when he gets into the open field can rip through an entire defense real fast. But ultimately, if he can't get space, he's not going to be great. And this offensive line looks just as abysmal as we expected. This offense as a whole looks just as abysmal as we expected. That's going to play more into the favor of a guy like Drake, who will play that James White-style role. When they're down, it's going to be a lot of Kenyon Drake playing catch-up mode. And I don't expect the Dolphins to be up all that often. So even though there's you know some appeal because he's the number one running back, tons of talk about how he's been ripping long touchdowns every day throughout camp if this team's going to be as bad as they've looked if bellage is going to do that much you know minimal damage on his carries when they're trying to establish the run i can't see them keeping drake a very explosive talent off the field once he's fully ready to go for Kalen Balazs. So he goes from a guy you know, still getting a starting running back, still willing to draft that style volume in round 11, 12, but you, know, you can't pass on a guy like Darwin Thompson or Daryl Henderson, God forbid, or even Justice Hill, Tony Pollard, whereas Balage, however the fuck you say this loser's name, was a guy that I was trying to you know, target around pick 100. There's four or five guys that I'm going to take before him, and that generally means I'm not going to get Kalen Balazs. Just because he's looked so shitty and the Dolphins have looked so shitty, which is going to really limit how much damage he can do in early game situations and game flow. Um, And then we're going to move on next to Vance McDonald. This isn't a guy I'm overreacting about, but it is concerning when the offensive coordinator gets asked, Hey, Jesse, James is gone. Uh, Should we expect a spike for Vance McDonald playing time? He goes on like a happy Gilmore style, or Billy Madison, I should say, style rant where he's like, we're all dumber for listening to you. God have mercy on your stole. Like no way this guy's ever going to play full-time snaps. We will never do that. And it's like, a simple no would have been okay. But seriously, what what is with his overreaction to saying Vance McDonald will not be an every-down player? Just a couple weeks ago we were talking about how this guy was in on 14 of 14 first-team snaps, how much damage he's done on his limited work. I think he was a fourth in points per snap or some of that very pro football focus. So that elevation in playing time led us to believe he was going to have a breakout season. If he's not getting that opportunity, if he's not getting that playing time, it's going to be much harder for Vance McDonald to blow up. I still think this was kind of a... it's. Seems so over the top that it was like, is this guy being sarcastic? Is he joking? Is he, you know, suggesting it's going to be a bigger role for Vance McDonald? And he's just overplaying this. I have no idea. So I'm not taking these comments too harshly. I bumped him down a little bit. If, if it is only, a, again, a 50% snap player, then we're only going to get the 10th most fantasy points per game, which is what he averaged last year. But I do think there's going to be a nice uptick for Vance McDonald this year. I think it was kind of over-exaggerating from the offensive coordinator. Even if it goes from you know half the snaps to 70%, that's a ton for this guy to do damage. One of the biggest yards-after-catch beasts. Uh, and that's what you think about what led to George Kittle's breakout. He was a yard-after-catch monster that wasn't very highly used his, his rookie season. And he becomes an every-down player and, and gets peppered with it. That's He ends up leading all tight and setting records for yards-after-contact, yards-after-the-reception, all that good stuff. Vance McDonald could see a similar style breakout. He's a similar beast. He was fourth in all those yards after catch, yards after contact metrics, uh, right below... George Kittle, if he gets that slight bump to show those skills off a little bit more, and you think about it, two hundred twenty-five targets vacated in this offense, over half their air yards with Antonio Brown departing, like two thousand five hundred air yards, and especially those fifteen touchdowns of Antonio Brown, those are all up for grabs. And I mean, you got some new guys like Dante Moncrief in there, James Washington shown very well, but a big body like Vance McDonald in the red zone could do humongous damage. And those targets have to go somewhere. So even if the the O.C. is saying he's not going to be Every down player, and even if he isn't, I think those volume upticks, the, the usage upticks when he is in, is still going to make this guy one of the most viable tight ends. He's right around my tight end eight, and one of the last guys I'll you know I'll take in around nine or ten before I absolutely punt the position. Don't even care about it, and I just take you know a touchdown flyer like Mark Andrews later. That's kind of the cutoff point is, is Vance McDonald for me uh, as the guy that I see with legit tight end, you know, three, four upside if everything goes into his cards. There's not very many other guys I consider on his level. Let me know if you guys are worried at all about Vancey McBig Dick though, because uh, you gotta be a little concerned about his OC's comments. Just want to make sure they're on your radar. Another guy I loved all preseason and I still love is Daryl Henderson. But you got to be somewhat concerned that he's gotten nothing going. You look at these preseason yard per clip there, 57 yards on 23 carries. Oh, not very pretty. I mean, this is a guy that's the all-time leader in FBS yards per carry at 8.9, average over 10 yards per carry on outside zone, which the Rams run more than anybody. You'd like to see that kind of translate at the NFL level, and it just hasn't yet. Granted, he's been playing behind the second and third string, you know, line, and but he's also playing against second and third string defenders, and he still hasn't got it going. So you know, the guy that looked like one of the most explosive weapons to come out of the draft, and Sean McVay himself labeled the most explosive player in this draft, according to Schefter on our podcast. Hasn't quite shown that, which is a pretty decent concern at this point. I'm not going to overreact and send this guy plummeting down my board and off my you know do not draft list or anything of that nature. I still will get Daryl Henderson around 8-9 in every draft because the upside of this overall offense is so astronomical. I still think, you know based on all his college film, he's a great fit for what they do. I am concerned I haven't seen it quite yet. Uh, But ultimately, I expect Daryl Henderson to still be a beast. He's still in one of the most invaluable situations as the direct handcuff to Todd Gurley, a a, a guy that has arthritis in his knees. As much as I've raved about Gurley and how much I love him, there is some very real injury risk there. So there's still tons of upside to Daryl Henderson. But where I'm now coming from is if I'm staring at the draft board and Darwin Thompson's there and Daryl Henderson, and you're looking at two very similar ceilings, I'm looking at the guy that's getting it done at the NFL level. The guy's looked like a special talent at the NFL level. That's Darwin Thompson right now. That's not Daryl Henderson. So even though I'm still very willing to take Daryl Henderson on my team, there's just some penny stock guys that have kind of leaped him and will go after Daryl Henderson in most drafts. And that's the case. I'm gonna lean Daryl. Hen- I'm gonna lean Darwin Thompson. Guys like that, just because I haven't seen it yet from Daryl uh, Henderson. Still though. Don't overreact, still like the guy, but I did want to point out the fact that he hasn't looked quite as explosive and he's dropped about 10 to 12 spots on my big board, about a full round, because we haven't seen it quite yet. And last but not least, on the followers' comments, and again, uh, comment away. I don't know where you've gone, sonny. You just tuning in now or are you, are you gone here? Need those comments. It's it's always much more engaging when you guys got the questions coming in for me. Drafts of this week, let me know how I can help you. But last guy on this list, as you guys see, just popped up there, AJ Green the best case scenario we had we've been kind of operating without a timeline here we knew he was going to be doubtful if not you know definitely not going to play week one but there's some optimism maybe it's week two now week three is being labeled the best case scenario and whenever you know missing three weeks is the best case that's a bit concerning uh for a guy especially with like aj green whose latest few years have been marred by injury if he's coming along slowly and and not looking ready for week one you've got to be concerned what that means uh, for his long-term outlook this is a drafted in round six, and I still think after you have your top two or three wide receivers, AJ Green's a wonderful stash because he could be a wide receiver one down the stretch. That number one target in a Zach Taylor, Sean McVay style system could be a monster. I mean, think about what this guy could do if he's ruined the same route concepts as a Robert Woods, as a Brandon Cooks. I mean, he's like a, a baby of the verticality of Cooks and the smooth route running of Woods when he's fully healthy. He could be a monster. So you're still at the right price round seven or so when you have an established this receiver core, don't just let A.J. Green sit out there. This is a supreme talent and a great uh, what could be a great offense with great chemistry already established with, uh, with Andy Dalton. I mean, he could lead the league in targets once he comes back. But you have to be much more cautious, much more concerned, and definitely have a great backup plan for A.J. Green if you go into your draft with him. So I want to make sure to point that out. Let me know if you guys think I'm overreacting to any of these injuries, any of these fallers. Uh, but until then, until I see more comments, let's move on now to our penny stocks. We're going to start at the top of the list with someone I think is one of the most underappreciated running backs in the NFL right now. But first, the Wolf needs a drink of water. Ah. All righty. Let's get back on here. Let's talk about Matt Breida and why he is a absolute monster of a fantasy value right now. One, Jerick McKinnon has been knocked out. You can't really ever have any faith in Jerick McKinnon's health at this point. So I hated that backfield coming into the year. It looked like a three-headed nightmare of guys that have very similar skill sets between Coleman, McKinnon, and Matt Breida. Some speed guys, great receivers, great in the zone scheme. All three of them, very similar talents. And they talked about how they're going to kind of use all three interchange, interchangeably, which is just like, you know, who, who do I rely on? Who do I start each week if that's going to be the case? But then, you know, ever since then, McKinnon gets knocked out, becomes much more of a one-two punch between Coleman and Breida, and Breida's looked like far and away the best back in this offense. None better than with uh with Jimmy G in week three of the preseason, just ripping through you. Know, it was Tevin Coleman's getting stuffed behind the lines? I believe it was you know, 10 carries for 21 yards. Matt Breida was finding space, was reading the zone blocks. This was a guy that led the league in rushing come week three and four last year. Was thriving until he started to get injured. The talent is very real, real with Matt Breida. Uh, so 44 yards on the ground, 31 yards in a reception. So you know 75 total yards in a TD and a couple drives. Whereas Coleman was just getting 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 stuffed. Uh, It it was beautiful to see from Matt Breida and awful to see from Tevin Coleman. So, you know, whereas Coleman's going around 6 7, maybe the play from now on then is Matt Breida, who's going well after round 10 in every league, looking more talented, looking more explosive. Uh, This offense, you know how much I love this. And, and, And again, Breida was an RB1 while healthy last year in this same offense. I love that this guy could become the lead Shanahan back if he continues to outplay Tevin Coleman and just thrive in that zone-blocking scheme. After and, and Instead of, you know, last year he had to take Jarek McKinnon with round four price. This year he had to take Tevin Coleman round five or six. You could get the Shanahan lead back for 10 and beyond. It's so underappreciated for a guy as explosive and talented and great at reading the zone-blocking scheme as Matt Breida is. I think that was a great reminder in preseason week three of just how talented this guy is and how close. I mean, they were alternating series. It wasn't like Kevin Coleman had three drives and then Matt Breida was a distant second. They were alternating and they even started to feed Breida a little bit more once he started to show, suggesting it could be a hot hand. I really think Matt Breida could get that hot hand and end up leading this backfield uh, and being just a fantasy monster, even though he's the cheapest one. Uh, I really like him quite a bit. So big fan of Matt Breida and what he's showing. Uh, let me know if you guys agree. Another guy though that showed very well this preseason uh, as a whole and again carried over into week week 3 here was Ty Montgomery for for the Jets. I mean, one this guy is the clear-cut number 2. There's no real debate here. He's played every single snap with Sam Darnold throughout this preseason and Again, looks like this that every damn multifaceted beast that they are, they're going to get out of levy on Bell no doubt about it but as the direct handcuff to a guy that has a pretty extensive injury history in Bell that's a year removed from being in the league maybe that helps him and he's you know fresher and looks better but it could also impact him in the fact that he hasn't taken NFL hits for a full offseason he hasn't taken that punishment maybe he gets worn down and beat down they're already saying Montgomery has looked so dangerous in camp that he's pegged for a standalone role lots of two backfield sets where he motions out to the slot. A lot of times they stay in the backfield together and they both flare out. So we're looking at a, a guy that has a clear-cut, standalone role in this offense that he was made for. I mean, this Gase offense is all about shortened timing and getting the ball in the receiver's hands and letting him make damage. Ty Montgomery, as a past you know, receiver and a running back, is very good at both of them. A great hybrid. They're calling him a, a chess piece and move him all over the place. Uh, they're saying you know he's Gase is more excited about him than anyone else of the new weapons in this entire offense. So he clearly, based on all these reports and what we're seeing in the preseason, is going to have a role even with Bell there. Yeah, mix in the fact that he would be a you know, low end RB1 if anything happens to Bell and those injury concerns we just outlined. I don't see why Tom Montgomery is going undrafted in almost every single league. In fact, I have him at pick 100 or so, so right around round nine or 10 is where I value him. I want to make sure. I've heard a few questions about this. Just because I have him so high on my board doesn't mean I'm going to take him at pick ninety eight. If that's where I value him, if I can get him at pick, you know, one hundred and fifty, why not wait a few rounds and take him there? It's like, you know, if I value this car at two hundred thousand, I'm not going to be like, I see it for fifty thousand. Can I pay you two hundred thousand? Ty Montgomery is that type of deal here. I'm not going to reach in round nine even. If that's where I value him. But I really think stand between the standalone role, all the hype we're seeing. Make sure you check out our stock watch if you want to read about it. Him. I've written a few different blurbs on him. And again, he just flashes, gets a nice TD t- right over, you know, breadbasket throw uh, from Sam Donald flaring out of the backfield. I thought he looked unbelievable there. Uh, it just, again, that jack of knife all trades. Going to be a very dangerous standalone weapon. Uh, so I'm here for the Ty Montgomery Show, both as a handcuff and both as, uh, as a standalone value for Adam Gase. Next on my and it has me a little bit down, I should say. I'm a little bit lower on Le'Veon Bell than the consensus experts because I think Ty Montgomery is going to be a sneaky more involved than what people think. Uh, but let's continue on here to Michael Gallup. Not much to say other than the fact that he just looks like he's taking that next step as a receiver. Cooper's been out all preseason, and it's been Gallup, where Dak looks first, second, third. They've connected on a a long play or a touchdown in every single preseason game so far. This is a guy that always had the talent, just wasn't consistently used, but Kellen Moore, the new offensive corner, expected to pick up the pace, expected to move people all over the place, and Gallup has that flexibility to move in, to move out, to make plays all over the field down in the deep corners, down the short game, down the screen game. He can do it all. A very complete receiver. He's started to show that throughout this entire preseason, uh, and that, just a great strong rapport with Dak the entire time. He was a guy that you know, obviously was on my radar, but I had him much lower than the ECR, and not for any real reason. outside just kind of being a little sleep on this guy, but the preseasons woken me up to him. I think Michael Gallup is a, definitely a guy after round 11 or so. If you have some shaky wide receiver depth, you know I go Moncrief first. There's a few other wide receiver uh, penny stocks: Deshaun Jackson. But he is right up there with those guys, those elite bench stashes. Uh, Based on the preseason we've seen this guy have, I am a huge fan of Michael Gallup. uh, And I think he could be one of those monsters. I'll never have an RB on my roster who wears 88, says Chris Jason. Good comment. Thanks. Very in-depth analysis there. I appreciate that useful comment. Next on the list, someone I was already hinting at, but if you're just tuning in, Keyshawn Johnson. Out of the camp is nobody, no veteran, no rookie, no young guy, no one has had as impressive as a camp outside maybe Kyler Murray as Keyshawn Johnson. Very reliable route runner, very reliable hands, whereas we've seen, you know, obviously, Akeem Butler now in the IR, and then Andy Isabella struggle with drops and and routes and the concepts of the NFL offense at the air raid. We've seen Keyshawn Johnson the exact opposite, exactly where he needs to be, catching every ball thrown to him. He's become, quote-unquote, the main guy that... Kyler Murray looks to in the intermediate range, which is what this offense has thrived upon. And we see that in game action. Seven catches, 85 yards on eight targets, all those three team highs. Uh, this is a guy that just is going undrafted, that could be the leading receiver of an offense that we think is going to take the league by storm. We think Kyler Murray is going to throw for 4,500 yards, 30 TDs. If this is the number one receiver in that offense and you're getting him undrafted, you're looking at a potential season winner. So if you have a kicker on your roster right now, you have a trash wide receiver, or a useless back that's not even a handcuff, Get rid of him now for Keyshawn Johnson. He's my number one guy that goes undrafted that I think could truly explode come the season end. I love this guy. I love what he's shown. Uh, Everything that we read about him has been glowing. Then you see it on the game tape as well, just getting open at will. Uh, Great timing, great hands. All that has been on display. And Keyshawn Johnson, a guy that I have to own on my team at this point. Uh, so Johnny's asking, a penny stock I'm hearing about more these days is Justice Hill. Your thoughts? I mean, great reason to hear about him. He's very explosive. The fastest back in the draft this year uh, going into an offense with Mark Ingram ahead of him and really nothing else Ingram's going to be 30 this year he has a sneaky high injury history in his past never been a true workhorse back are we sure he's going to handle that I love Ingram too Uh, don't get me wrong Ingram as long as he's healthy and Greg Roman's offense going to be a beast but we can't ignore the fact that he's going to be 30 and has a little bit of an injury concern on his resume here and then Justice Hill Looked, he's had some great flashes throughout the preseason. He's already been labeled as kind of like their third down back. He clearly carved out a role. He's kind of worked Kenneth Dixon, they're saying, off the roster potentially. So if he's that number two, you have that handcuff upside in the league's run heaviest attack. We know the no team is going to approach how much Baltimore runs it with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. So, you get the lead back if if Marking Room goes down, plus a guy that's going to have a standalone role in that offense. Johnny, I'm all about Justice Hill. I think he's great. I would take Darwin Thompson above him. I would take, you know, I'd probably take, even though I kind of bashed on him, I would still I'd take Matt Breed. I would take Ty Montgomery. Uh, I'd take a bunch of guys still over Justice Hill. But ultimately, he's definitely on that list. You know, right where I'm looking at my handcuffs. Tony Pollard should go above Justice Hill, but right after that list I just gave you, Darwin Thompson, Pollard, Matt Breida, Ty Montgomery, I would take Justice Hill right there. And you could argue Montgomery versus Justice Hill. Uh, I think there's tons of stash uh, appeal for this guy. I mean, think about it. He was a freshman in unseated Chris Carson at Oklahoma State. What could he do in an NFL offense that's going to run the ball more than any other? Uh, Big play threat just waiting to happen, so I'm a huge fan of him. Another penny stock I want to discuss is Dion Kane uh, for two weeks in a row now. So he was on here last week, had a humongous flash of 85 yards and a TD, does it again, scores another TD this week. Uh, this was the guy that was the preseason darling of last year. You couldn't hear enough positive praise about how well he was doing in camp, how excited they were to have this guy, how he was probably going to start opposite T.Y. Hilton because of how well he looked. And he goes and tears his ACL, gets cut down short. But he's looked every bit as healthy since OTAs. They've been raving about how healthy this guy looks. And now we see it in and the preseason games two weeks in a row. And what I really like about this guy is the fact that he's been getting it done with Jacoby Brissett. You obviously have those concerns where it goes from Brissett to Andrew Luck. And the second teamer doesn't have that chemistry with the first team quarterback. It's clear that Deion Kane and Jacoby Brissett have that nice connection together. A lot of their damage, uh, Deion Kane's damage, have come with Brissett as the, the quarterback. And you often see these guys that weren't the number one receivers, but they've been the number one for the number two quarterback on scout team and all that stuff. That's what I kind of sense with Dion Kane here is that him and, and Brissette have formed a nice bond over the years, and that's the guy he's going to look to first, second. I mean, you got T.Y. Hilton. You're still going to look to T.Y. Hilton. But I'm going to go with the one that's going undrafted here. So a lot of people, oh, you still like Deion Kane, now that Brissette. I like him more, that Jacoby Brissette is his quarterback, which sounds blasphemous because Andrew Lux was such a good thrower when he was you know in there. But the fact that these guys have great established chemistry, the fact that this guy continues to make plays every single week make me very high. On what Deion Kane can do in this Colts offense. So let me know if you guys have any more penny stocks you want to hear about. I've got a few more though on your list. These are the guys I would look to first. A lot of them, again, going undrafted. So this next list is just for more so, kind of put it on your radar. You know, you can make your watch list on Yahoo and things like that. Or if you're in like a 20 team league, you need really deep sleepers. Here's a few names to consider. There's a few on here that aren't quite as deep as I'm saying they're going to be, but we get here now. So one of them, TJ Hawkinson, let's go back. There we go. Uh, is is potential beast at tight end. You think about the tight end position and what you're looking for. At best it's like a touchdown a week. If you don't have a Kelsey, Kittle, Ertz, and maybe some of those guys, you know, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, I think can take that next step. Obviously O.J. Howard. But once you get past those six or seven, I told you that, you know, for me it's the Vance McDonald's, the cutoff right there, like tight end eight for me. After that, it's like, you know, what are you going to be looking for from your guy? TJ Hawkinson, I think, drips in everything you're going to look for. Even though he's a rookie and tight ends really translate as rookies, I think this is the guy that could buck that trend. The most complete tight end prospect to come out in a very long time. I mean, OJ Howard, obviously, is complete as they come, but right in that type of level as an athlete, as a blocker, You know, is it Patricia getting his style of Gronk? Look at what uh, Daryl Bevel did with Jimmy Graham just a couple years ago in the red zone. Led the league, including all wide receivers in red zone targets and red zone touchdowns, with 13. Hawkinson's got that big body, got that athleticism. We're seeing that rapport, 3-for-52, with Matthew Stafford this week running with the first-team offense. All the reports have been out of camp. This guy's dominated in the red zone, dominated in the intermediate game, could be emerging as like the number one or two target for Matthew Stafford and goes and picked 150 and beyond. If I'm at a tight end dilemma, and I don't really have a guy yet, why would I take David Njoku in round nine if I think this guy, TJ Hawkins, has a clearer path to targets, has all that style of athleticism, and has a, a coordinator who loves to pepper tight ends in the red zone when he has the right guy? Hawkinson could genuinely stumble into eight TDs, 700, 800 yards, and you get him after 150. I really love TJ Hawkinson. Uh, he's, he's elevated early in the offseason. I was talking about Noah Fant, and that's the guy I really want as a, the more athletic guy in a better offense, uh, in a guy, in a situation where he's going to get lots of yak opportunities because Flacco loves his tight ends. To me now, it's, it's much clearer. It's TJ Hawkinson. He's up to tight end 12 I believe, so low-end tight end one, in my opinion. That I can see, just even as a rookie, blowing up right from the start. We saw what that rapport looked like early on, and I wouldn't be shocked to see that carry over throughout the rest of the preseason. Next on the list, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. One of my favorite rookie talents. Don't love his landing spot with the Eagles just because it's so congested there between Ertz, between Alshon, between Deshaun Jackson. Oh, maybe the finger just popped up before we started today. Who knows exactly what his stats is going to be. Uh, so a crowded situation, sure. But I, I really like J.J. Arcego Whiteside's talent. Uh, he, he's a big guy, big body, uh, that you that saw him just do damage at every single layer of the field in preseason week three. Nets nine targets, eight catches, 100 four yards in a TD, uh, did it in the red zone, did it deep. This guy is a very complete receiver. That's been getting rave reviews all camp for his ability to make plays over defenders to use his size, speed, to his advantage. And we're, we're seeing it now translate. And, you know, yes, again, coming into value could be difficult this year when you have that many mouths to feed, but still, when you got this type of talent, and you got Deshaun Jackson getting banged up, Alshon Jeffries seems to miss a few games every year, uh, and Carson Wentz, there's no reason they might not go to four wide receiver sets, empty out the backfield, go even five wide at times. If our Segal white side, we know how much Doug Peterson loves his mismatches, loves to come out in different formations to confuse the defense. Our Segal white side gives him that flexibility as a guy that can move all over, that can make plays at every single layer of the field. I really like the upside and the talent of this kid, especially in like a, a keeper league. When Alshon Jeffrey's gone I, over the years, he could become that number one go-to guy for. For Carson Wentz. So if I'm in dynasty and whatnot, he's even higher on my radar. But even in redraft, I don't mind stashing him. He often goes largely undrafted. An intriguing stash in case injuries happen ahead of him, or he just you know, flat out balls right from the start. Both very real possibilities for this guy that's just a, a great natural talent in an unbelievable offense and just needs the right path to volume. Speaking about you know meteoro- to pass to volume... Mediocre talent in Jerome Brown has never really done anything special. He can get deep uh, and makes plays in that layer of the field, but really doesn't have anything special. He hasn't done anything at the NFL level yet. But the opposite of Arcego Whiteside, even if he's not a great talent, He's stepping into a situation which could yield a significant value right from the start. He's the clear-cut number two wide receiver right now for the Seahawks. And we know it's one of the run-heaviest offenses in the league. They led the league in attempts per game, rushing yards, all that stuff last year. Uh, but still, Russell Wilson is so great at the deep ball that if there's a clear number two here, then it could be worth some serious value. We know Lockett's number one. You know how much I love this guy. If you haven't heard it yet, Tyler Lockett, blow-up wide receiver of the year. Just to make sure I say it like 18 times during this, this broadcast, him and Chris Godwin going to explode this year. But Jerome Brown as the number two clear-cut guy because DK Metcalf's been knocked out. And then David Moore is knocked out both very questionable for week one. We know Moore is going to linger on uh, early into the season, but DK Metcalf status stubbed the I know Metcalf will most likely take this job at some point in the year, maybe as early as the, the day he steps back in. But if not, Jerome Brown has been getting rave reviews since OTAs, uh, which I kind of you know brushed off, whatever. He's not going to actually have a role here. Uh, but then rave reviews throughout training camp too. The pads come on, and he's still making plays deep down the field, still tracking Russell Wilson's deep ball, still a great viable threat in the screen game. You read all these great reports, and we go, like, eh. Maybe, but you still got, you know, you're competing with Metcalf, you're competing with Moore, and both those guys get removed. So maybe this guy has been making some genuine great plays, and maybe now he's in the position to get some of those deep balls that David Moore might have been in line for, that DK Metcalf might have been in line for. If you're truly desperate, you know, especially against, you know, week one, and just streaming someone waiting for AJ Green or something of that nature, he's facing Cincinnati. Everybody can beat Cincinnati in the receiving game. So as the number two wide receiver, I just see him. He's not going to get drafted. No one's going to draft him. But I wouldn't be shocked to watch him go 90 in a TD week one and become that number one waiver wire target. So if you want to save yourself that and you got trash on your bench, just consider going uh, a number one. Consider spending that last round pick on Jerome Brown. A, a Brown that I'm much more willing to draft, though, that I do think is very talented, is John Brown. One of the best deep threats still to play this game, great ball tracker, great separation at the line, and even dangerous in the red zone because he's so quick at the line that he gets some great separation. They've been raving about that throughout Bill's camp, that this has been the most impressive player on the field, uh, including deep ball, including red zone, including all that stuff. And we start to see that, not a huge breakout game or anything like that, but just the the clear number one connection was there with Josh Allen in this final preseason game. Racked up, I believe, 30 yards or so on three of three targets. And Josh Allen has looked much better as a passer, especially in week two of the preseason, showing much more touch and whatnot. We knew he always had the cannon arm, led the league in deep yards per attempt last year. uh, We know John Brown is one of the best vertical threats in the game. So is that just the perfect marriage of a, a great deep threat, a great deep arm that's just been connecting all throughout training camp? We start to see a little bit of that chemistry. We see a little bit of refinement of Josh Allen as a player. Maybe John Brown just explodes this year. He was on a, I believe, wide receiver 15 pace with Joe fucking Flacco last year as his number one and really didn't tank until he got taken out and had Lamar Jackson. So I would not be shocked to see him emerge as the clear-cut number one guy for Buffalo with a quarterback who could be ascending in terms of his intermediate accuracy, always had the deep arm. All that matches what John Brown does really well for a guy that goes you know, well after pick 120. I love targeting him uh, for my wide receiver, four, five, six spots late in drafts. I think he could be an absolute monster. And last but not least, I see some comments have come in, but I want to go over one last penny stock. And that's Damian Willis, uh, the projected ex-starter in A.J. Green's absent for the Bengals. I can raise my hand and openly admit I had no clue who the motherfucker was before this week. But in preseason dress rehearsal, he got the start. You're like, okay, who the hell is this Damian Willis guy? He looks like a pretty big guy, 6'3", 230 or so. You see some speed. He runs a 4 as you research him a little bit more. Played at Troy, so flew a little bit under the radar and got undrafted. But you, you read some stuff about it, you know, what his college coach would say, always makes the plays, very reliable, just when you need something to get done, he goes and does it. And then you, you read comments from Zach Taylor saying, you know, as a rookie, what you look for is someone that can be reliable, someone that you can depend on. We've seen that from Damien Willis. Then he goes and gets the starting nod over all these other guys they have, over John Ross, over whatnot, for the X wide receiver position. In this offense, so you're looking at Tyler Boyd, Damian Willis starting a Zach Taylor scheme that could really blow up. He catches 55 yards, uh, touchdown with Andy Dalton, beautiful 33 yard stab, uh, making plays over defenders. Just looks really good. Looks like that guy that just no one knew about and blows up. That could be Damian Willis here. So, uh, I'm a huge fan of Damian Willis, uh, I, I love what he can bring to the table. And, you know, a clear path to open volume here with, with A.J. Green gone. Maybe that's your kind of handcuff, your bridge to the wide receiver one value that he could bring. All right, guys. Chris Gibbons. What's going on, my man? Don't think about Div- Divine Ozgobo. Better marking room replacement than Murray uh murray who's murray from mark ingram i'm not sure oh oh, you're saying over with the saints an intriguing big back style guy i literally have no idea who that is chris so i'm glad you tossed that one onto the the radar i, I have to do my own research but i appreciate you letting our viewers know here who that is welcome brother tom sick glad to see you here uh thanks for putting me on daniel very welcoming room anniversary followers from both you guys. I don't know what that means, but Ben, thanks for tuning in. Dan, thanks for tuning in. looks like we don't have any other guys. Uh, JJ and DFS, if, if DJX misses time, Great point, CJ. If we have an injury to Deshaun Jackson, maybe we do have some early season value for JJ. What if he's the starter outside where d- Deshaun Jackson was going to be? We see him make the plays. And we're talking about AJ Green benches. I'd much rather have J.J. Arcega-Whiteside in a starting role than an undrafted guy named Damian Willis. So yeah, really interesting point. If this d injury lingers, feel free to comment on what's the latest. But if that lingers and he misses a few weeks, maybe J.J. Arcega-Whiteside blows up. So definitely worth a speculative ad at this point. Alrighty, guys, that's gonna cut it. I mean, Hundred an hour and eighteen minutes, and a lot of you guys stuck with me for the entirety of that. So those of you who would listen to that verbal assault for an hour, I appreciate it. Uh, your viewership, your listening ship, if you're listening to the pod, mean the world to me. Uh, and I, of course, am Roto Street Wolf at RotoStreetWolf Street Wolf on Twitter, RotoStreetJournal.com is our home base. We have the Fantasy Fullback Dive podcast where this audio will be found, but also tons of other great interviews. I mean, the the guests we've landed this. Summer have been nothing short of stunning. Adam Schefter, Ian Harditz, uh, you know Scott Barrett, just some amazing names. <laughs> Schefter, if you didn't hear that one uh, on the podcast this summer, so if you don't tune in there, check it out. Uh, check out our Instagram, our, our all our socials. Connect with us. We know it's your draft day. We know it's time to go. So. Best of luck. Hit me up. I can run some daily draft wizards at 5 o'clock for you from the rest of now to the end of summer. Back to school tomorrow, so it's going to get a little busier, but I'm still here to make sure you dominate. And we're dropping that guide finally, so if you're willing to support us, uh, I'll let you know where you can check that out in the show notes and whatnot once I finally get that finalized. We'll be grinding away on that the rest of the night. Alrighty, guys. Thanks for that rant. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, and I appreciate, again, as always, the Wolfpack support. Until next time, we're out. Third effort. Touchdown. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.